The planet is heating up. The oceans are becoming filled with plastic. Change starts now. Change starts now. We're on a countdown. To zero waste. Five, four, three, two, one. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. Here's your host, Laura Nash. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Zero Waste Countdown podcast. I'm your host, Laura Nash. We're speaking with Kim Vanette. She's a big mountain pro skier from Revelstoke, British Columbia. And we're actually going to divide this interview into two parts because there's so many awesome things that she had to say. So we're going to start out with Kim and who she is and what she does in her daily life as a pro skier and as a geologist that helps the world become a better place. Next week, we have geothermal and Kim weighs in on solar and we actually get to talk about the site CDAM and a lot about the government policy in Canada as well and where she expects Canada's energy future to go, which is really interesting. I asked Kim what led her into the oil and gas field in the first place and then why she eventually ended up switching to renewables. Here's Kim. So I got into the oil and gas industry because of the science that I liked, but then I ended up realizing that, you know, I was also inherently involved in an industry that was doing a lot to harm that same sort of outdoors experience that I was really into. Um, so I was working in the oil and gas industry for quite a long time. I started, I sort of gravitated towards regulation and policy work, which was really interesting to me because I felt like I could uh, use the science that I understood and be more involved in the decision-making and process that actually allowed us to access those resources properly and in a way that was environmentally friendly. And I just kind of felt like even though we were doing something that wasn't as wholesome as we could, um, that industry needed advocates for the environment. Kim graduated with honors from Western University in Ontario in geology and made the move west. The day I started working in oil and gas, I had friends, especially from Ontario, who were like, are you comfortable working in petroleum? Like, it's it's not awesome for the planet, right? And I was like, oh, yeah, no, that's an interesting point. No, I'm not comfortable with that. But I didn't even think about it because okay. I just studied sedimentology and really enjoyed it and then found myself in that industry and was like, now what, right? <laughs> and so I'd always kind of like justify it. And I'm the type of person that certainly tries to listen to my gut and follows my some sort of like greater sense than money anyway. And so I I always just sort of wanted to get away from it. So I find my path now is really influenced on the the skiing. Um, Spent more time in the mountains and kind of going west. And as I moved west, I moved to Revelstoke, British Columbia and uh, started competing in big mountain skiing and spending more and more time training and being out in the mountains. Um, So the switch to renewables was pretty natural for me and uh, is certainly reflecting my personal longing to cut down wastes and cut down mostly environmental footprint in the energy industry. That's fantastic. I feel the same way about the outdoors as you do, except my my focus was more on rivers. I have such a connection to them. I love being out in them. And I think that it's really put me on this path to trying to make the world a better place and preserving those special places that we have. Kim, tell me more about your personal relationship with skiing from an environmental perspective. I think a lot of people look at that type of lifestyle and um, 
kind of question it, especially if I'm going heli skiing or if I'm doing any of that type of thing. I just try to be as as present and make those choices in a way that I just base my decisions on. It's going to sound funny, but on necessity, you know, like, do I really need to be doing this? Sometimes want wins over need. But in comparison to what I'm doing in the rest of my life, I'm comfortable with making certain decisions like heli skiing. And I'm not doing this every day, you guys. So, (laughs) you know, I can do it every once in a while. When I look at the rest of my lifestyle, that's where I choose to consume. So, you know, if you have priorities, cut back in other areas so that you can not feel guilty about the consumption that you do make. Absolutely. I call that picking your poison. I don't totally. I don't use a snowmobile, but a lot of skiers do. You know, there's a lot of fuel burning accessibility in our industry. But uh, I also ski tour a lot. And a lot of what I do is fueling, fueling the fire for the rest of my life. So for example, if I'm out ski touring in the mountains, generally speaking, I have a good handful of times throughout the ski season where I get butterflies in my stomach and I sort of have this all-encompassing feeling that I am in a really incredible space and, you know, it's me being on my skis that have gotten to me to that space. And because I have those those moments of presence where I realize how valuable our mountainscapes are, for example, it drives my career, it drives my longing to create better energy sources so that we're actually globally consuming less. I totally agree. Being outside definitely drives my desire as well to preserve the planet and preserve those wild places that we have left because to me they're magic. They are they are who we are and we belong in nature and in that space and in the mountains even though you might need equipment to get to it. Yeah, and I mean there's a reason that all companies issue vacation time to people and then what do people do with those vacations? Very rarely they stay at home. A lot of people go to the beach. A lot of people go to their cottage. A lot of people go to the mountains, you know, people are are searching and seeking these outdoor spaces. And, you know, one day we might not have access to snow, certainly not to the scale that we have right now. I mean, I live in a place where the snow is deep and plentiful. And as this earth becomes warmer, I and everyone else on this planet will have less and less access to that type of thing. There's a lot of people out there that hate winter and could probably afford to see it go. But like Laura was saying earlier reducing the amount of snowpack we have has an effect on the rivers and so I mean your cottage might look a little bit differently and certainly your food choices and whatnot I mean the winter sports industry is just an interesting example for me because we're so on the fringe of losing it that it just becomes infinitely more obvious how important it is to protect these spaces. Something that's interesting too about the about skiing in the winter is that you're getting away from the garbage. So for example, if you're a surfer, oh, yeah. if you're a surfer, <laughs> you're like out there in the garbage. If you go to Sandbanks Provincial Park, for example, like kind of near where we're from, it's it's covered in garbage. Like there it makes it breaks my heart how much garbage is on that beach and washing ashore and it's it's a big problem but when you're skiing in the mountains now i know according to david suzuki that pollution does reach those areas but it's not something that we see so it's like one of those last places on earth that we can escape to without seeing all of this sort of destruction although you sort of do see it in the loss of snowpack from year to year yeah for sure and that's actually that's actually something that i had never thought of that's really interesting in that sense because i agree with you there's some there's some surf spaces out there that have gotten a little gnarly Um, certainly there's places there's ski resorts in the world where it's glaringly obvious uh what's going on in the major centers i've skied a bunch in chile and there's some 
uh, ski areas just outside of Santiago. And as you're looking down the valley, I mean, the valley's filled with smog. And the same thing exists surrounding Salt Lake City. The mountains are the escape from that as of right now. So something something to do with that is that uh, we were just in Whistler in the summertime, and I was so happy at the Garibaldi Lift Co. And their menu, they said, we don't serve straws anymore. And they're basically enlightened to the fact that straws are completely unnecessary, and they're horrible for the environment, and they're, like, getting stuck in turtles' noses, and, you know, they're causing so many problems in the ocean. And, and there is Whistler, and they've actually taken an initiative in the whole village to reduce their impact on the environment. They're trying to do a zero net operating footprint. Certainly they're going to consume a lot of energy, but they're trying to create energy in other spaces so that they sort of come out with a a net zero. Totally, which is amazing. And I didn't actually even know that until you pointed that out. And I was I was so happy to read about that. And I went on GLC on their Facebook page and gave them this five-star review. And I was like, I'm so happy that you don't serve straws. And they wrote back <laughs> and they're like, yeah, look at this initiative. Like we're coming together as a village and, and trying to tackle this problem. And when you walk around Whistler, you don't see garbage. It's again, one of those last sort of, I mean, Whistler is a bit of an urban center, I would say, a small one. <laughs> on the scale of ski resorts, Whistler's a big one. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. for sure, like you say, it's kind of like that last sort of refuge even in an urban center it, it's it's t- the reason it exists is because of the mountain itself and it being there is just so impactful for the planet because people are there and they see like whistler and blackcomb is amazing like it is it's my favorite i haven't skied nearly as many mountains as you have and you've skied all over the world so you would know better but I love Whistler so much. I just love the outdoors and it's good for everything, for hiking, for swimming in the lakes in the summertime, for skiing. It's so good for the outdoors and it really helps people realize this is what you're impacting when you decide to drink water out of single-use water bottles every single day. Like, you know, this sort of area is in danger. It is interesting as well because some of these major huge ski resorts, as they become more populated, it's becoming less and less simple to make that connection with nature because there's so many people around. And inherently, there is a bit more, you know, there's like, I always, if I see a Gatorade bottle on the ski resort, I pick it up. Better than it being out there, because like you say, these are places where people want to be in nature, not in a garbage dump, (laughs) you know. Um, And and certainly, I, I love ski resorts for their ability to introduce people into these spaces. And uh, backcountry skiing is becoming more and more popular. And I think that's just people's overall drive to get sort of away from it all and get into nature. And, you know, I've been in situations where we've taken groups out into kind of the middle of nowhere. The best way to do that is on a helicopter, unfortunately. But uh, I've been with people who are generally high consumers in their day-to-day life who just kind of have those moments where they take a deep breath and look around and realize how important it is to step away from it all, you know? And, And if it takes a helicopter to show a person that sort of experience, I'm all for it. I think if you're packing into those backcountry cabins too, you start to realize how much waste you're bringing because you need to carry that on your back or you need to put it on the snowmobile. Like, so you're not going to take, you know, a massive amount of, of stuff. So it really sort of makes you realize what you need and what you don't yeah. in life, getting right. out there in those experiences. I mean, a lot of the clients that I've worked with as a ski guide 
have come from Manhattan, for example, and they have very easy access to anything they want. And you take them to a remote backcountry lodge and all of a sudden there's no electricity or maybe there's electricity, but it's because the owner of the lodge has installed a micro hydro system. You know, like there's limited access to everything and everything you do is because you've made it for yourself and you've carried it yourself. Yeah, but it just kind of puts people in a really interesting space where they do have to look after themselves and they have a better uh, sort of understanding and realization of how much impact they actually make on a day-to-day. So having that type of experience and then bringing that back to your day-to-day life can be really powerful. So speaking about your everyday life, what are some choices you've made, well, other than switching your career, of course, to reduce your environmental impact? I purposely live in a small town. I'd love to tell you I use my bike more than I do, and I should. (laughs) And that's one thing that I'm working on. So admittedly, I would like to walk more and uh, use my bike more than I use my car. But I also don't end up using my car very much. I've put a lot fewer miles on my car since I've lived in this town because I don't have those types of commute that I've had elsewhere. In our home, my husband and I built a a house. We actually renovated an existing home and uh, we upgraded the efficiencies in our home by quite a lot. And it is interesting these days when a lot of people talk about their power bills or their heat bills. I hear it out of Ontario a lot, but also around here, uh, there's a lot of homes that are on that have oil tanks and uh, they're on oil furnace systems. So we ripped one of those out of our house and put in electrical boiler and we have a radiant heat system now. As far as, as uh, consumption practices, yeah, I don't, I don't buy a lot of stuff these days. Which is exactly where a lot of zero wasters find themselves these days, buying less stuff. What are some recommendations you have for us on our countdown to zero waste in terms of using less energy? I think realistically, the biggest thing that you can do personally to change the amount of energy you're using is just think about how your consumption, where your consumption comes from. You know, if you're if you're buying a lot of clothes, think about how those clothes were made, how much energy. For me, everything kind of comes back to energy because that's my that's my business these days. Look at how much energy went into making those clothes, for example. Where did they come from? You know, if you can shop local, you're cutting down on carbon emissions through transportation. Upgrading your appliances is is a great one as far as energy consumption is concerned. It'll certainly cut your cut your household bills by quite a bit. No matter what, you sort of make allowances, right? Like sometimes, sometimes you're not going to start living your life unless that's your priority. <laughs> if your priority is absolutely to not consume, that's totally possible. You know, so it's, it's interesting because it becomes a bit of a sliding scale. And I've had a few friends that have sort of used that hermited lifestyle <laughs> as the only other option. That's kind of their, their comparison. And, and I don't, necessarily recommend that I mean that's fine that's cool if you want to do that but uh, I mean there's a lot of ways to sort of integrate lower consumption practices into your life and so if I had to kind of sum it up I'd say the number one is shop local whenever you can certainly when it comes to food choices which might be difficult but there's a lot of ways to grow a lot of your own food as well and then and then sort of think about do I need this one thing one recommendation that I've sort of used is Anytime that I go to purchase something that's frivolous, I sort of give myself a day or two and think like, do I need this thing in my life? Most of the time it's a want and not a need. And as you consume less, you realize how little you actually do. And I think things are getting really out of control, especially I find in major centers where 
there's a lot of people and there's a lot of comparisons and there's a lot of, you know, purchasing things just to kind of fit in. So, I mean, I think that that's why people use that hermited lifestyle as a comparison. Because, I mean, if you're, if you're not keeping up and fitting in, then I guess you must be living in the woods somewhere. But that's just <laughs> not the case. There's, there's, there's a space in between. There is a gray area. So, yeah, just shop local when you can. Cut your consumption when you can. Think about how how energy is used in your home. Don't use your dryer. Put your clothes on a clothesline. You know, or set your thermostat one degree lower than you normally would have. Certainly with technology, there's a lot of cool things that you can do uh, with respect to the temperature in your home and changing the temperature in your home throughout the day so you're optimizing on natural heat sources like the sun. Absolutely. Doing things like opening your curtains in the morning before you go to work so that the sun heats the home for when when you get back home. I think it's important to to adjust for the temperatures. Most places in Canada have a range from around minus 30 Celsius to plus 30 Celsius, which is huge. It's massive. Some Canadians, they have their heat cranked up to, you know, 75 and they're in shorts and t-shirts and it's like minus 20 outside. To me, that's sort of my sweater weather time to wear my sweaters and scarves and house boots and things like that. And then summer is a a time to really reduce the clothes we wear and wear flip-flops all the time. And just by adjusting to the season, there's a lot of things I think that we can do to save energy and, and biking. Absolutely. Victoria has a great trail system. Gatineau's trail system is absolutely amazing. And even smaller cities are, are coming around as well. It gets people off the road, which we know is is a huge uh, factor in pollution and in, in, you know, using oil and gas. It's nice to get those cars off the road and get people on bikes. It's a little more challenging in Canada because we have that extreme weather. So it's difficult for a lot of people to ride in plus 30. I'm one of those weird ones who loves to exercise in the heat. But it's it's definitely not for everyone and could be dangerous at some points when we get those uh, those hot temperatures. It makes a huge difference. You're reducing air pollution and you're also reducing, you know, the mental stress of people who really don't like to be stuck in traffic and need to be to get to work. That's enough about biking. I want to get back to energy. What is the best sort of zero waste green option when it comes to appliances? So if we upgrade, then we're probably saving energy, but we need to send those appliances likely to landfill. Another means of energy production in Canada is actually not really producing energy, but just increasing the energy efficiency of our existing buildings. In that sense, we're going to have lower consumption. So the idea that you brought up is replacing your appliances. So one thing that I found throughout the world, this is especially prevalent in Europe because socially people aren't so interested in having the next best thing. So they actually end up having quite old appliances. One stat that I found actually said that uh, any appliance that was made before 2007 is actually 40% less energy efficient than... Oh my goodness. A, a newer appliance so so like you said yeah I mean you can upgrade to a newer product but then what happens to the old one as technology increases you know you have to make that moral decision are you gonna are you gonna access a better technology so that you're cutting your energy consumption or are you gonna stick with what you've got so that you're cutting your garbage and your and your physical wastes? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it just kind of becomes an interesting an interesting debate. So you can get new appliances and cut your your consumption that way. Um, there's a lot of other things that you can do 
to plan your living space so that you're accessing proper natural lighting, not proper lighting, but natural lighting, which is incidentally healthier as well. There's a lot of different ventilation techniques and insulation techniques that you can upgrade from older homes so that you're actually retaining a lot of the energy that you're already paying for. These types of things become a little bit more accessible for people rather than, you know, you might not have control over where your local electrical grid gets their electricity from. For example, if you live in Alberta, 90% of that comes from petroleum product. And so, you know, having an electric car in Alberta, for example, doesn't really change things very much because you're still using a petroleum product to run your car. It's a little bit more interesting here in British Columbia because you're using renewables for that electricity. But anyways, um, you know, there's a lot of different things that each individual can do to affect how much consumption of energy they're actually using. That's all really excellent advice about things that we can do in our own lives to reduce our energy. I wonder on sort of a more macro scale, what are some things that bigger companies can do or governments can do or what we can do to sort of encourage more action at the government level to decrease waste in the energy sector in Canada? Yeah, I mean, companies like Epoch, we're working with the energy regulators and we're working with utility commissions to kind of pilot these projects and start new methods. And so certainly over time, no matter who it is that does that, we'll start to develop these regulations. It's just that they haven't been defined yet. Um, so one thing that you can do is the Canadian Geothermal Energy Association has a website. It's called Powerful. So www.powerthfuel.org. If you go to that website, all you have to do is fill in your name and email address. And what it will do is automatically populate with the local elected officials. And it'll send an email to the, that you can see before it sends um, to your local elected officials that says that you're interested in changing policy so that we do have better access to, in this case, geothermal energy. Um, I did this a couple of years ago for the first time, and I got an email back from my local MLA within the day. Um, and then that opened up some dialogue between him and myself on other topics as well. So it's sort of an interesting process if you want to go do that. The Canadian Geothermal Association has made that really, really accessible. We just have to engage with, with our elected officials and let them know that this is something that we're interested in. And you're seeing that across the country anyways, as people sort of look towards greener options. I know that colleagues of mine that have worked in the oil and gas industry for a long time are getting really frustrated with people's desire to move away from oil and gas. That that might be a result of the government, the present government, but it might be a result of people just changing their priorities, you know. Things are changing and totally. money is becoming less and less important to people and we're sort of prioritized. Our, our economic situation will definitely change with our social priorities as well. So There's no better example of that than the pipeline protests that we saw last year. Those, those were huge. I mean, you're seeing it in the States a lot too. It's interesting and it's political and it gets very heated and I mean, we all have our individual opinions on how that should go. My point here is that I think people are placing more and more value on our planet over economics. I, I use the word sustainability a lot. One thing that I found is when I say sustainability, a lot of people think immediately of environmental causes, and that's really great, but that's only one part of it. When, when we talk about sustainability, we want to make sure that not only are we protecting our environment, but that we're also protecting the economy 
and we're protecting our what we call social justice so it's like our lifestyle and our availability of food and water and shelter and jobs and i mean that sort of relates back to the economy i mean we can't just crash the system we have to we have to evolve we have to make these changes slowly and appropriately so that we can maintain our existing lifestyle but we have to do that while protecting nature and sustainability to me and and i think is widely accepted generally means that we have to leave this space in a, we have to leave this earth in a space that's as good or better than we entered it so for future generations we should have they should have access to the same types of social justice the same types of lifestyle influences that we have now well that actually makes me think about universal income people are really worried that jobs are going to be lost and in the US all those coal jobs were lost and Trump is coming back and trying to get the coal jobs back but then there's this big ethical dilemma coal isn't really ethical but what do you do to give people jobs like you can't just have people without money and and resources and food and whatnot so it sort of leads into that interesting subject of of that universal income which is kind of a a whole other can of worms. But it's interesting, I mean, even when we talk about oil and gas production in Canada, because that has been one of our major industries, look at how many jobs were lost in Calgary in the last couple of years, or sorry, not even just in Calgary, in the industry throughout Canada. It is really interesting to me making a change from oil and gas production to geothermal energy is a lot of the technologies and a lot of the reservoir understanding and the understanding that we have of the oil and gas industry is directly transferable to production of geothermal energy. The conversation around universal income is a very tricky one. We're not entirely sure that it works, but it might be an answer to getting people out of jobs that are really destroying the planet. People need to eat. People need to buy clothes for their children. People need to put a roof over their heads. And as a zero waster, sometimes we get caught up and can forget about basic needs that everyone needs and we do need to produce things on a large scale and we do need energy people do need to drive people do need jobs and when there are so many jobs that are lost in the oil and gas industry what kim is saying is that there are jobs available in the renewable industry and that's certainly a solution to employing canadians in a greener context kim has shown us that the switch from oil and gas is not only viable in terms of energy production but in terms of employment and jobs as well we learned that outdoor experiences and pristine mountain landscapes led Kim to her career switch and that skiing provides us with a reminder of how beautiful and rewarding our natural planet can be. I highly recommend getting out there this winter and enjoying the snow before it's gone and to remind yourself of one of the natural spaces we're trying to save by going zero waste. You can learn more about Kim on our website, kim-vinet-ski.com. That's kim-vinet-ski.com. Every week on my countdown, I'm making one choice that gets me closer to zero waste. Last week, I found and purchased zero waste apples for my family that were grown locally without stickers and I carried them home in my cloth reusable grocery bag. This week, I implemented something big. I canceled my meal subscription service that has helped me and my family eat healthy for over a year. Although I'll miss the box of fresh food delivered to my doorstep every week, I'll be cutting my recycling waste significantly because everything inside the box is individually wrapped in plastic. 
Implementing this change is actually going to reduce my footprint in terms of oil and gas because the big diesel truck that picks up my recycling now has less to pick up and less to carry and less to transport to the recycling facility where oil and gas is going to be used to convert all of those plastic materials into something new. Also, it's going to save on hydroelectricity. It's less material for the plant to process. So next week, Kim's going to be joining us and we're going to get more into actually what she does in terms of geothermal. We are also going to compare a few different other types of renewable energy resources and discuss their viability. That's next time on the Zero Waste Countdown podcast. Change starts now. This is the Zero Waste Countdown podcast. <laughs>